The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would, please, and open them to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'd like you to find that scripture rather quickly so that we can read it together. Uh, tonight, we're continuing uh, one of my favorite subjects, which is the study of the church. And our, our subject this evening brings us to the subject of church membership. Uh, I mentioned this some in the fifth series or fifth message in this series and Then I talked about why you should be a member of the church. Tonight we're going to look at this a little bit differently, and I want to talk about church membership itself. So if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse number 19, it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now you'll notice in this scripture that Paul uses one of the metaphors uh, for the church that's used throughout the New Testament. Uh, Sometimes the church is referred to as a body, And uh, we are the body of Christ. In other places, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, even though we don't find the word church and bride in the same sentence, yet that concept is developed in the New Testament in several passages. But here, Paul uses the metaphor of a building. He says that we are the spiritual house of God and that we are a building that has been fitly framed together to be the temple of the Lord. Now, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uh, used the church or spoke of the church as the temple of the, of the Lord, and he also used the word temple in, in another way. In uh, one place in the sixth chapter, he talks about how our body is the temple of the Lord, and there he speaks of why that we should carefully guard what we do. We should get rid of uh, the sin that's in our lives because our bodies belong to, uh, to God. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when Paul speaks of the temple there, he's speaking of the entire church being the temple of God. So he says in 1 Corinthians 3.17, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now looking back into the Old Testament, it's interesting for us to uh, look, look into the building of the tabernacle and of the temple Uh, There was very much care that was taken in the uh, gathering together of all the materials that were used to build both of those structures. Uh, God required that they use the very best, and then all of that was put together by skilled craftsmen in order that the building might be beautiful and glorious. And and just as a side note, when you think about the tabernacle and the beauty of it, uh, if you walked up on the tabernacle out in the wilderness when the children of Israel worshiping there, you wouldn't notice anything spectacular about it at all. In fact, from the outside, it was a very drab-looking structure. The beauty of the tabernacle was on the inside, 
And that's to teach us that we only know how beautiful that Christ is when we are on the inside, when we know him as the Lord and Savior. Then he becomes very beautiful to us. But both of those structures uh, in the Old Testament were magnificent. They were beautiful. And the same is true in comparison to the Lord's spiritual house. Uh, God's spiritual house, his church, reflects the glory and the beauty and the majesty of the builder. And so, therefore, we expect that the materials of God's church would be the very best that, that are, are, are available. Uh, years ago, when, when I was in Kentucky, many years ago, I used to build some houses, and I built some really cheap homes. Uh, the houses didn't cost very much. There was cheap material that was put into them. And uh, we like the old saying, you get what you pay for. Well, they were cheap houses, and they were intended to be uh, not to cost very much, so people lower incomes would be able to move into those. Uh, but the last house that I built in Kentucky was a much different type of house. Now, when I came to California, I, I, it was to my chagrin to see the price of housing here. Uh, you pay a whole lot for a house, and I'm not so sure that you get what you pay for. Uh, there, there's not the finest of materials that go into the houses around here, and yet they cost a lot of money, and you don't get a whole lot for that. But this last house that I built in Kentucky, it was a very expensive house for that area. Now, there the disparity between cost of housing is, is tremendously great. And so for $350,000, I built a house there that when the people moved into this house, they got the finest of materials, they got... Uh, the finest trim work and custom cabinets and archways and uh, chandeliers in the house, hardwood floors all the way throughout, full hardwood floors. For $350,000, they got a really, really nice house. Well, in God's spiritual house, uh, again, the best of materials have to be used. And, of course, I'm not talking about the physical building that we're in, but God expects that his people would be built up into a spiritual house that would honor and glorify him. Now, my point in telling you this is that the building reflects the quality of the materials. That's the way it is with God's church. I mean, you can put together a collection of, uh, of people, and, and the whole of the people may alter somewhat the character of the whole. It may elevate it some, but that's not usually the way that it works. Uh, no, when you, when you build something, and when you build a church out of people... The component parts, when you put them all together, is pretty much what you have. It's not going to be elevated above what you put into it. And so in God's church, we have to be very sure that we have the right people that are in God's church. And that's the only way that we're going to be able to glorify Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that we do uh, when we bring someone into the church, and you notice we did this this morning, that we vote on people. And that's because the church has the right to decide who can be a member of the church. There's nobody that can force their way into the church, and so you have to be voted in. And then the church can't compel anybody to join, but at the same time, there really isn't a Christian who has the option not to be a member of the Lord's church. We are to be obedient to him, and being obedient means becoming a member of one of his New Testament churches. I know that there are some people who think when they come to church that that means that they're a member of the church. I remember talking to a visitor once that uh, I said, uh, I was greeting this visitor and she'd been to church several times. And so I said, well, are you a member of a church anywhere? 
And she looked at me kind of strange, and she said, yes, I'm a member of your church. I'm a member of Berean Baptist. Well, that was surprising to me because I knew their name wasn't on the church roll. She just attended church. She wasn't a member of the church. Now, let me show you something in Acts chapter 1. This is after the ascension of Christ. Uh, The disciples had returned from the Mount of Olives, and they went to the upper room. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says, And in those days... Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. Now, there you see a very definite church membership. They had their names recorded. And at that time, there were about 120 members of the church. So how did those people get their names on the church roll? Why were they counted as church members? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. There are principally two topics that I want to talk to you about in church membership. How do you get into the church and how do you get out of the church? How do you get in and how do you get out? Well, first of all, let's look at the conditions for admission into the church. Let me say again that uh, the New Testament teaches a definite church membership. Christians were a part of the local assembly, and so you don't find uh, anybody in the New Testament that was just a a Christian that was just wandering around on their own and not a part of the church. When people were saved, they became a part of the church, and that wasn't optional. The The apostles would never countenance that someone was obedient to Christ and following Christ if they hadn't committed themselves to uh, working in the church, being a part of the church, uh, being committed members of the church. That was expected. I mean, they wouldn't baptize anybody without bringing them into the church. So they were baptized, they came into the church immediately, or they became baptized people that later on would be uh, grouped together and assembled into a new church that was being organized. So that's how we got New Testament churches. The the apostles witnessed to people, they received Christ as Savior, then they were baptized and brought into the church. Now, I want you to, to notice the order for being admitted into the church. And the first thing that must be true of the person, he must be regenerated. There must be regeneration of the heart. You have to be a person that's been given a new heart by showing that you've placed your complete trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. That's the New Testament pattern. There was no one but saved and godly people that had right to membership in the church. So they had to give an evidence of a, of a good confession a confession that says that you pass from death into life and that you have become a new creature in Christ. Now, you might think, well, that's obvious. Of course, you have to be saved to get into the church, but it's really something that's very much misunderstood and happens to be a, just a big bone of contention, you might say, between Baptists and Protestants. Baptists do believe in a regenerated church membership, but Protestants believe in a church with a dual nature. They believe in church visible and church invisible. And so they believe that it's all right to have unregenerated people in the visible church. Now, let me explain that to you. They believe that in the invisible church, the invisible church actually contains the spiritual, the elect, the regenerated people of God. Well, we, of course, don't believe in an invisible church. And even if we did, we couldn't agree that 
uh, there should be those that are unregenerated that are permitted into the membership of the church because the Bible simply does not teach that. And what the Protestants do is they uh, go by what we call covenant theology and they carry uh, Old Testament Israel into the New Testament, much to their great confusion. And so they say that the children of believers are brought into the visible church through, through baptism. That they baptize babies as a replacement for Old Testament circumcision, and they bring unsaved children into the church. So eventually what happens is you fill up the church with people that have never received Christ. They don't have any relationship with him other than some imagined covenant relationship that they really didn't have anything to do with. But any group that is a mixture of regenerate and unregenerate people cannot be a church. Now remember, the spiritual house of God reflects the character of the individual components. Just like a house that's made of cheap materials is not a worthy house, so there is no spiritual house, a church that can be made up of people that have not been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You can't have that and reflect the holiness. You can't be without that and reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ. The whole church is affected by the unregenerate. Uh, unregenerate. And so the objective of a sound church and one that honors and glorifies Jesus Christ cannot be obtained by permitting unregenerate people to be a member of the church. Now, Jesus and the apostles taught that the kingdom of God is not of this world, that there's a difference between those that are in the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, and those that are in Christ's kingdom have been born again. This is what Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, the church is not the kingdom. The church is a subset of the kingdom, and so you certainly couldn't get into the church unless you've already been admitted into the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ. You'll notice in the New Testament epistles that Paul never addressed the church as those that are both redeemed and unredeemed. He never said anything like this, grace to you and also to your unbelieving children. Now, to the believers in Rome, he said, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the other epistles have similar phrasing when Paul writes to the churches. And then in the body of the letters, you find statements like this in Romans 6.20. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Speaking to the church, in verse 22 he said, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit and a holiness and the end everlasting life. So Paul is talking to people here that there's a very definite change that's taken place. Here in, uh, uh, close to our text in Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So there's a very definite change that's been brought about by regeneration. The apostle Peter said the same, most notably in 1 Peter 2 verse 5 he said, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Then in the ninth verse of that second chapter he said, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. So nowhere in the New Testament is it countenanced that unbelievers would be a part of the visible church. I mean, the command is always to separate from those kinds of people. And if someone who doesn't know the Lord would inadvertently be admitted into the church membership and he shows the characteristics of someone who's lost, then the Bible says that we are to separate from that person. We're to judge that person and to put them out of the church. So who is it that's in the church? Well, it's people that are saved. These are people that are added to the church by salvation, not the babies of members Believing members nor any other regenerated, unregenerated person can be in the church. Now we see this in Acts 2 verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received his word, that is, those that were listening to Peter on the day of Pentecost, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So he says, Those that gladly received the word... These are people that believe, they're regenerated, they're made able to receive Christ as Savior through the gospel. And those were the ones that are added to the church. And so to be a part of the church, we must have a spotless, pure body of Christ and members that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Well, how else do you get into the church? Well, you also get into the church by a confession of faith. And here I'm not speaking of the initial reception of Christ by faith, but rather I'm speaking of the manner of life, that a person must witness a good confession of faith, or in other words, a person shows by his life that he has believed in Christ. I mean, how do you know that people are Christians? Well, the Word of God says, by their fruits you know them. And so you look for the evidence of the fruits of salvation in that person's life. You know, sometimes we can be fooled by false professors. People may, uh, may fool us and, and they put on a very good show. But one thing that we're never going to be fooled by is by somebody who's never shown any evidence of knowing Christ as Savior. And so the person has to be willing to confess this, that he knows Christ, that he is a child of God. And quite frankly, there are a lot of people in churches that don't admit to that. They're afraid to make a confession. But a real Christian will always confess his faith when he's called upon to confess. In Psalm 66, verse 16, it says, Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. In Romans 10, 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, when we accept members into Berean, They've already been through an interview with me. Almost all of the time, they've interviewed with me. And I've examined them for their confession of faith. And uh, they tell me of their experience of faith in Christ and of their baptism. And then in my absence, sometimes the the deacons will take that duty and they'll interview with the same procedure, uh, checking to see the confession of faith that a person makes. And they listen to hear if that profession is credible. And if the confession is good then we bring a person before the church, as we did this morning. Usually this is done at the 11 o'clock hour. And we bring that person before the church, and at that point, I tell you about the person's confession. 
We don't usually require the person to say anything, but if they want to, they can. If the person's not a female, we do permit a personal testimony uh, of their experience. And I think that's a good practice, and there are many churches that actually require that people that come from membership do tell the entire congregation about their confession of faith. So those are two of the requirements that we have for membership in the church for admission, and that is a person must be regenerated and they must also give a good confession of their faith in Christ. Now, there is a third way that you get into the church, another way that's required, and that is the reception of baptism. Now, sometimes in the confession of faith, it comes from the baptism, That is, if a a person has never been baptized before in a church of like faith and order, or if it's at their initial point of faith, then they come and they ask for membership in the church, and at the same time, they ask for baptism. Baptism is the ceremonial qualification for admission into the church. So the church membership is made up of regenerated, baptized persons. Now, we just saw that in Acts chapter 2, that those that heard the word of God, that means in hearing in the New Testament, usually when you see that, it means to believe. They heard the word of God, and they believed it, and then they were baptized and added to the church. And what you don't find is unbaptized people that are members of the church of the New Testament. So this is actually the first act of obedience that a Christian performs or should perform, and that is his baptism. And if he doesn't want to be baptized, then I I would have to say it's unlikely that that person is saved. I mean, it's hard to imagine that a convert would hear about baptism and know that Christ modeled it for us in his own life, and then he told his disciples to baptize people in the Great Commission. It'd be hard to imagine that a person could know all of that and hear it and then refuse to be baptized and be a saved person. Those things just really don't go together very well. Now, definitely, we do not believe that people are saved by baptism. That's not necessary for salvation. But at the same time, we don't believe that a person could, could be saved and refuse the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes I know that baptism is not possible. There can be various reasons why a person can't be baptized. And it's not necessary to be baptized to get into the kingdom of God You get in the kingdom of God by your faith in Jesus Christ, but if you want to get into the church, you have to be baptized. That's a requirement for church membership. So baptism, then, is a personal declaration of a person's faith in Christ. Uh, In the picture of baptism, which we also did this morning, we show that a person has died to his old way of life, that he's risen to walk in the new life of Christ, It says that he believes in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So in other words, in baptism, he declares the confession of faith. This is what he has believed, that Jesus died for sin on the cross, that he was buried in the grave, and then he arose from the grave. Now, this is one of the reasons that we call baptism the door into the church. You have to walk through that door in order to gain entrance for membership into the church. Now, we don't baptize people without the same time bringing them into church membership. Now, this was actually a practice of this church before I became the pastor, that you could uh, come for with a confession of faith, and and, uh, you could come and ask to be baptized, 
And then church membership was a subsequent act, so you could actually refuse church membership and yet be baptized. I would never do that. I mean, I would never baptize somebody who says, I don't want to be a member of the church. I mean, that says to me that the person doesn't really understand what baptism is about, and they may not even understand what salvation is about. Sometimes I have people that call me. Uh, I had one just a few days ago that called and and said, uh, I want to come to church and I want you to baptize me. Well, the person had no intentions of becoming a member of the church here, uh, becoming a member of a church at all, as far as I could tell. So I don't know anything about that person's faith. And if they were to tell me, well, I want you to baptize me, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church, then again, I would say, you don't understand what baptism is. You don't understand what church membership and, and really salvation is all about. So we wouldn't baptize somebody in that case. Baptism goes along with church membership. It's a prerequisite for membership. Now, fourthly, in order to get into the church, there must also be submission to discipline. To get into the New Testament church, you have to be willing to submit to the authority of the church in the matter of discipline. In other words, what you agree is that the church can scrutinize your life as a Christian, and you agree that you will accept the teaching of the church as the correct instruction for how you are to live your Christian life. Now, that goes back to witnessing a good confession. We don't take people into membership that still want to live in in their old lifestyles and still hang out with their old friends and their old haunts doing the same things that they always did. We don't want those kind of people in the membership. We want people that show that the old life that they had before is gone because they've trusted Christ and they've become new creatures in him. I mean, that's the very thing that we're testifying in baptism. We have died to our old way of life. And so when you become a member of the church, you agree that we can teach you and that we can check your progress by observing your life and that you come under the authority of the church to check your sin and to help you to correct the problem of sin that's in your life. Now, we've looked at that teaching according to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 And we found that discipline is an act of a caring church. It's not a repulsive, intrusive behavior, but rather it's the the characteristic of a loving, caring, concerned church that we would look after one another, that we would see what goes on in others' lives, and we would try to help people that have sin in their lives. That's part of the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what we don't have... We don't have a holy police force in Berean. And I mean, we don't, we don't have somebody that's going to follow you around with a pad and write down everything that you're doing wrong and uh, write you a citation. That's not what we do. I'm not going to follow you around to find out what you're doing wrong. And for many of you, I don't have to do that because you put it on Facebook and you tell us what you did and you tell us what you are doing and what you're going to do. And so it's right there for everybody to see, and sometimes that stuff gets filtered back to me, or it gets filtered back to the deacons, and so we have to call on you to change your behavior because of what you said that you did. And so do you know what you should do? Change your behavior. See, that's what God called me to do, just as he called Timothy to do. He said, reprove and rebuke. 
He said to teach people, exhort them to the right behavior, and you as the people of God, you should accept the instruction of God's word to do what's right. That's what you promise to do when you become a member of the church. That's for your good, and it's for the purity of the entire body. And so when you become a member of the church, what you ought to do is gladly invite scrutiny of your life so that you have accountability. What we don't want is people in the church that say, well, I don't believe what you teach. I don't agree with what you're saying. I'm not going to submit to the authority of the church or to the leadership of the church. No, church membership is agreement to the lordship of Christ and submission to the authority of the church. So don't get angry if someone, if I have to, or one of the deacons or someone has to come to you and say, you've done something wrong, and that needs to be corrected. What you ought to say, well, maybe you'll say, well, I didn't know it was wrong, or maybe I didn't, I didn't know that I was doing the wrong thing. But what you ought to do is then correct what is wrong. And as I said, that's for the good of the entire church, for the purity of the body. So when you become, to get into church, you have to be willing to submit to that authority of the church. Now, fifthly, to get into the church, you can get in by the commendation of others. Now, I'm shifting gears just a little bit here. What if you are a member of a church somewhere else, and you want to become a member of Berean Baptist Church? I mean, sometimes there are uh, members of a church, they move away from where they used to live or for some other reason, uh, they're looking for a new church in the area where they've moved to or whatever. And so they're members of, in, in good standing of another Baptist church in another locality, but then they want to move their membership. So what should they do? Well, what they can do is to ask their former church, and usually we take care of this, that we ask for a letter of commendation or sometimes called a letter of recommendation. This is a person that we don't have to baptize them because they've already witnessed a good confession. They've already been baptized in a church of like faith and order. And so we don't have to go through any special steps or anything like that to receive them into membership. And that's similar to what we did this morning with the folks who joined today. They don't have to go through baptism because they've got membership in another church that's of like faith and order. So what we would do in many cases is write for a letter of commendation. But truthfully, that's not done very much anymore. Uh, when I was growing up, you couldn't move from one church to another without a letter of recommendation. And so you would join a church and then they would send out a, a recommendation for a letter and you didn't become a member until that letter was received. So if a member then wanted to ship out of a church because they were mad or because they were under church discipline, none of the other churches would receive them into membership until they had gone back to their former church and made things right with that church in order that they could receive the letter of recommendation. But as I say, there's hardly any churches that practice that anymore, and so we don't see very many letters of commendation. But I think it was practice in the New Testament. First uh, Corinthians 16, verse 3, the Apostle Paul was ready to transport an offering from the churches of Macedonia to Jerusalem, and he asked for, uh, for some letters of recommendation to send of men so he could send men that he could trust to send that offering to the church that was in Jerusalem. And that actually became the basis for letters of recommendation for transfer of membership. But as I said, most churches don't do that anymore. So we have a sixth way that you can get into the church. 
and that is the declaration of the applicant. So how do you get into a New Testament church? Well, sometimes we accept the declaration of the applicant, uh, most of the time called their statement of faith, and we just trust them that their baptism is good and that their confession of faith is good and they're in, they have been in good standing with another Baptist church. Now, sometimes this happens. We have to accept letters of recommendation because a church might have gone out of existence. It may be that a church has lost track of a member and so they don't know anything about them anymore and so they couldn't necessarily send out a letter of recommendation. And so in those cases, we accept the testimony of the person who comes to our church. So they tell us that they're saved. They tell us when and where they were baptized. And we accept that statement as sort of an affidavit of their conversion and their baptism. That's the most common method of receiving members into the church that have come from other places. When they're transferring membership, and we know that they've, and they say that they've come from a good church, and they came from a church of like faith, and they were baptized in another church that had like faith, then we count that as uh, their baptism as being valid, and so we can accept them into our membership. Now, we had a, a case not long ago, and uh, this was when a member was taken in by a statement. Uh, this was Brother Richard, and we explained this at this time, that uh, Brother Richard wasn't too sure about his, his baptism, whether it was admi- had been administered by a church of like faith and order. And so he was concerned about that and not sure about it. And um, it's a good thing to do if you're not sure about it, to do something about it. And so he came to me and asked me if, if I would uh, baptize him again because he wasn't sure of that bit baptism. And so we did that. Well, that, that's a good practice. Uh, you can't receive baptism from a church that's not a true New Testament church. Uh, churches that aren't true don't have the right. They don't have the authority to baptize. And so we would baptize people again if they came from a church where we couldn't accept the authority of their baptism. And, there, and there's not any other position that would make sense. I don't think anybody would argue that, that you can't have a valid baptism from somebody from a church that's not actually in agreement or not teaching right doctrine. So that's why we don't take letters of recommendation from churches other than New Testament churches. There just isn't another position that makes sense. So there you have conditions for membership in a Baptist church like Berean. Uh, you have regeneration. You have confession of faith. You have reception of baptism and submission to disciplining authority. And if the person is already a member of another church, uh, uh, then they can be admitted by a letter of recommendation or by their personal statement of, of salvation and baptism. Now, that takes me to the second part. You're in, so what happens if you want to get out? Secondly, conditions for dismissal from the church. Now, don't panic. This won't take as long as the first part did. Once you're in the church, how do you get out of it? That's a good question. And that's one that people really often do not understand. So let me say this, that once you are saved and baptized and you become a member of the Lord's church, from that point on and for the rest of your life, you are obligated to be a member. It's a perpetual obligation. So you can't get up one day and say, you know something, I don't really want to be a member of the church anymore, so I just want to have my name removed from the role of the church. Just take my name off the role. I don't want to do that anymore. 
A Christian doesn't have that right. In the big picture, you must be a member of a New Testament church somewhere for the entire length of your Christian life. And if you decide that you want to skip out on the church and just do something else, something has to be very seriously wrong in your life. Something has to gone seriously haywire for you to have that kind of an attitude. So how do you get out of a church? Well, we've mentioned in... in um, partially here, how you would get out is a way that you could get in. You could get out by being recommended to another church. You can get out by us recommending you to another church. Now, if you get mad and you suddenly say, well, well I don't agree with the doctrine anymore, we're not going to recommend you to another church. Well, that would be a great disservice to the church that you would go to, that we wouldn't want you to go someplace else and cause them trouble. So you're not going to get out of the church under those kinds of circumstances with a recommendation. But if you're faithful and you move away or God leads you to another place and we agree with you and it is the Lord's will and you leave in peace, then we will give you a letter of dismissal for only one purpose. And that's to recommend you to another church of like faith and order. You can't go join a church that's not of like faith and order. Now, a few years ago, we had a, a couple that left the church because they were mad. And so they wrote a letter to me, and they wrote a letter to the deacons, and they wrote a letter to the Sunday school superintendent, and they said, we want our names taken off the church roll. You can't get out of the church that way. But you can get out this way, and that is exclusion from fellowship. If you're out of harmony with the church, and you're angry, and you cause trouble then the church will go through the necessary steps to remove you. And if you don't repent, then you'll be excluded from the fellowship. Now, the couple that I'm talking about joined a church that was not of like faith and order, and so that's an automatic exclusion. You can't go and join up with false doctrine. So, you see, you you have an obligation to stay with the Lord and to remain in fellowship with the church. And if you do something that removes you from that place then what we do is we remove you from the body. If you can't live like a Christian's supposed to live and you have sin in your life and you're unwilling to correct the issues, then we would have to exclude you from the fellowship. And somebody might say, well, that's okay. I don't care. We were mad anyway, so we don't care if you take our name off the roll. Well, that is the same as saying, I don't care about Christ's body. I'll just do whatever I want. I'll make up my own mind what I want to do. And getting out of the church that way... This holds true for any offense, and read sin there when I say offense. If anything, the church calls into question about what you're doing, and you will not repent of it, then we can remove you from the body. Now, we talked about that again in Matthew 18. It's not a course that we want to take, but it's something that the Word of God demands in order to keep the unity of the body and the fellowship of the body. So you can get out that way. I mean, that's the ultimate dishonor. And it invites chastisement of a believer or chastisement of the Lord. If you are a true Christian, you'll get chastisement for it. So that's not the way you want to get out of the church. You don't want to be removed from the fellowship. Then there's one other way that you can get out of the church. Dissolution by death. How can you get out of the church? Well, if it's not by the previous methods, this is the only other way you get out. We will terminate your membership if you die. And I don't think that really requires much explanation, although I have seen many churches with dead people on the roll. 
but if you want out of the church so badly that you'll die, we will let you out. It's a good thing, folks, to be on the final roll call that's in heaven, you know? It, it's a good thing. And if you're faithful to your church here, then I can promise you, you're a saved person and you're faithful to the church. When the roll is called up yonder, you will be there. The sad thing is that there are many people who think that because they have their name on the church roll, that everything's fine, that they're safe. They're just a member of the church, and that's the most important thing to them in this respect, at least, that they got their name established somewhere, and so they must be going to heaven because they have their name on the church roll. You don't get into heaven by having your name on the church roll. And so we have to be very careful about that, that we don't mislead people to think, well, you become a member of church, you're automatically in heaven. That's not true. You have to know Jesus Christ as your Savior in order to be in heaven. So if you die, then I can say with all assurance, we will remove your name and we'll be glad to see you go. And I hope that doesn't hurt anybody's feelings and you come back to haunt us. But if you die, we will be glad to see you go because the Apostle Paul said it's far better to depart and to be with Christ. That's a promotion when you leave this life. If you're saved, we're glad to see you go to heaven. And so we're not going to fuss about that. Now let me add just one other thing and I'll I'll be done here. Uh, I didn't actually mention this in the first part, but there is one more way to get into the church and that is by restoration. Sometimes we have people that I mentioned a moment ago that we do have to remove from the fellowship because of sin. And if you haven't died yet and you repent of your sin and you come back, then you can be restored to fellowship. In fact, there, there isn't a greater blessing or more rejoicing except for the salvation of a soul than for someone who's gone wayward from the church and walked away from the Lord to come back and repent of their sin. That is a great cause of rejoicing. And what we do is we give forgiveness. God always forgives sin. And he tells us that we also ought to forgive sin. And so if someone has sinned against the church and harmed the church and they had to be removed from the fellowship because of it, if that person will repent and come back, they can be restored to the fellowship. Now this is what we should consider. And that is, it is a great privilege to be a part of the Lord's church. There is, there is no higher calling than to be in the Lord's church and just have the, the fellowship that you can have with people who love the Lord. So if, if the Lord comes, if the Lord doesn't come, I should say, then we will remain faithful members of the church. And if he does come, then I'm not going to be sad to give up membership in Berean Baptist Church. I'll gladly do that because I know this, when I get to heaven, I'll be with a whole lot more Bereans as we worship around the throne of God. Hebrews says, But ye are come into Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, again tonight for those who have come and We praise your name for just the ability and the grace that you've given us to be a part of a Bible-believing church. We thank you for that, Lord, and, and help us as members of your church to be responsible, to understand what you expect of us, 
as we've explained, the church is to be built out of the highest quality materials, and that means Christians who are sanctified and holy in their lives and desire their very best to serve Christ in all that they do. And I pray that each and every member of Berean Baptist Church would have that at heart, that um, we want to forsake all the sin that's in our lives so that we don't bring any reproach upon your name or upon this church that you've given us to be a part of. So, Lord, we ask you to to help us to serve you better uh, to the best of our ability. We want to honor and glorify you as you've told us that we should do. So, Lord, we ask you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org